0: If you've got a Bible, grab it and make your way to uh, where we're going to be starting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be flipping around a little bit. We've got a page number up there for you. Yeah, page 623 in the Pew Bible. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those around you, Uh, one of the things we do in in my family is, you know, we we love this time of year as far as watching movies and that sort of thing, Um, and one of our favorites is, you know, maybe not some, it's not a classic, but we love the movie Elf, Um, and Elf has got a lot of one-liners in it, but one of the ones, at least the one I want to talk about this morning for, you know, serving my purpose of introduction is at the end when um, they're trying to get the Christmas cheer, so the sled will fly, if you've seen it. And uh, Michael has got this book and he's trying to you know Santa's list and he's reading it and he's trying to get people to believe. And so he's talking about the news anchor and he asks hey, what's your name? And he's like, oh, I'm, my, my name is Charlotte Denon, channel two or whatever it is. Uh, getting a plug and he opens it and he finds it. And he's like, uh, you know, Charlotte Denon wants a Tiffany engagement ring and for a boyfriend to stop dragging his feet and commit already. And so when he says that, everybody's like, whoa. All right. But the point I want to make out of that is just idea of commitment. I like get commitment. It, it's it's kind of a joke in our culture that, that men don't want to commit as it relates to relationships. And, and, I, and I've seen this in my own life. And I have a friend um, who and, I, and that sounds like I have a friend. And I'm going to talk about myself. Now, this truly is a friend. <laughs> OK, I, I, this truly is a friend. This isn't, you know, third person talking. I do have a friend who. Um, for a lot of different reasons, but I think one of the biggest ones, uh, you know, would not like commit to um, to to marry this girl he'd been dating because of, of fear of like what if he just played all of these mental what if games with himself and it paralyzed him to to follow through and actually ask her to to marry him and 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 commit into a relationship and they're married now and they've got three beautiful kids. Um, but underneath all of that and his fear was this, was this fear of, of commitment. But folks, without commitment, there can be no true love. Because commitment and, and love, they go hand in hand. You can't, you know, you can't have like, it, commitment is born out of love. And without commitment, there, there can be no love. They go together always. And this is true in a relationship. This is true in friendships. And this is true in the church. Because I, you, you do realize 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter that, that, that you know, is always read at, at weddings, that, that's written to the church. That's written to the church. That's how we are to love one another. And love is, is patient and it's kind and it's not arrogant or rude and it doesn't insist on its own ways. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It isn't irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, that love, that kind of love, is what the church is to show. So Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church and said, Hey, that's how you're to love one another. But if you're not connected to the local church, though you may be a believer, you're not going to be loved like that. I mean, if you just hang out by yourself and aren't connected, people can't help you. You're not known. You're just sailing on on your own little ship, on your own little way, and you'll come to church if you like the sermon or you like the music or they have some other offering that, that appeals to you, and then you'll sail on to something else whenever you, you know, find something else that you like more. And folks, that's trading the good and right call to commitment to a local church for the 21st century American consumeristic lie that it's all about you. It's all about, you know, you're consuming. But we're called to commit we're called to this idea of membership. So Mark Dever, who I'll quote several times, and you've, you've got a little booklet that we passed out a couple weeks ago. If you didn't grab one, there should be one around there. Please make sure you're reading that. It's going to be helpful for us like as a platform, helping us as we go forward. But he says this, membership in a local church is not an antiquated, outdated, unnecessary add-on to true membership in the universal body of Christ. Membership in a local church is intended to be a testimony to our membership in the universal church. And I'll explain those in a minute. Church membership does not save us, but it is a reflection of salvation. But if there's no reflection of salvation, how can you be sure that we are truly saved? As John explains in 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, we're talking about it in a local church setting, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so just cutting to the chase: if you are a Christian, you are to join a local church, either this one or another one that preaches the Bible. And you're to become a provider there, not a consumer. And you're to know others and, and, and be known by them. Allow people to get to know you and care for you, and speak into your life, especially in blind spots that you may not see. And you do the same for them, and encouraging them, and speaking into their lives. Helping them to live with their lives what they confess with their lips. Helping you to live with your life what you confess with your lips. This is a snapshot of what membership is all about. And what we're going to be talking about This morning. And so if you are a guest, we've been going through a series on the church for, um, this is the eighth week in a nine week series. Um, in January, we'll get back to our regular, you know, habit of just walking through a book of the Bible expository and just uh, making our way through that. But we've been focusing on, you know, this idea of the church and specifically asking the question, how is the church to be structured? And as we've studied through, we've we've, you know, um, looked at this and said, as you look at the New Testament, the church is to be elder led. And that is a plurality of elders, pastors, bishops, overseers, all these different words that all mean the same thing. All right. It's to be elder led, deacon served. And John preached on that last week, did a great job. And then congregationally governed. So elder led, deconserved, congregationally governed. And we've talked about that um, through the first seven weeks. In these last two weeks that we've got now, I want to talk about what it means to be the church. Like functionally as members. Why does membership matter? And what's that all about? And what does it look like? And so I want to lead us through that to just kind of think through that a little bit. Elder led, deconserve served, congregation governed, But now, like, what does that mean for members? And so this week we'll do kind of an overview of that. And then next week we'll dive into a hugely overlooked but hugely important idea of what is church discipline? What does it look like? Why does it exist? How is it done? What's like, how is good come out of that? Because it's, it's, for, it's for a good thing. It's for a good thing. So we'll talk about that next week. But this week. Talk about the fact that membership matters. OK, it matters. And because it, ma- it matters so much, it's mandated by God. And it's a gift and it has a purpose. And so if you're taking notes, those are really the, the outline. I was going to have a third point. You can just go ahead and scratch that one out because we're not going to have time for it. I was going to get into some practicalities like gathering, praying for one another, giving the importance of the Lord's Supper, the importance of being at members meetings and participating in those. But today we're just going to talk about the mandate of membership and then the purpose and gift of membership. And so let's go ahead and jump into the first one, the mandate of membership. And so we've got to do a little review real quick In a lot of ways. And this is a little bit of review. Um, membership in the local or membership in the church begins at conversion because when you uh, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you instantaneously become a member of the universal church. What is that? That's just the collection of all believers across all times and all geographic locations. Okay, everyone who's received Jesus as the Lord and Savior um, or looked to Jesus as the Messiah who was to come. And so Moses in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to Jesus. In the New Testament, us today, we're looking back on Jesus, but it's all based upon salvation through the Messiah, through Christ. And we on this side of the cross have a better understanding of his life as a substitute for our sinful lives. He lived a perfect one and we have a better understanding of his undeserved condemnation for sin as a substitute payment for our deserved condemnation for sin and his resurrection as a foretaste and guarantee of our resurrection to come. And so everyone across all geographic locations and time that trust Jesus as the Messiah for salvation are part of the universal church. But that membership in the universal church then has to be given expression in a local church, in a local setting, with a local community, a particular group of people you know, that are God's people existing under Christ's headship, serving kingdom purposes by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. That's that's what the church is. That's what the church does. It's a collection of Christians committed to Christ and committed to one another. That's what the church is. And we can't see people's hearts. I can't peer into John's heart and open it up and look and be like, yep, for sure, Jesus is in there. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. But what we want to do is as much as we humanly possibly can, based upon fruit, based upon evidence, based upon people's understanding of the Gospel, seek to understand, is this person, and we can't make them a Christian, but we as a church declare, is this a, does this person have a true confession of the gospel, and are they a true confessor? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The who and the what. The church declares that. We don't make people, but we can declare, hey, yeah, John. He's got a true confession of Jesus Christ and he appears to be a true confessor. And so we seek, you know, like to, for the purity of the church, that actual membership would be only for those who... Have a true confession and are a true confessor. That is, those who are believers. All right, that's membership. Now, attenders here, I got three of my daughters are not members of the church. Are they part of the church? Absolutely. They're part of the community, but they're not actual members. And so, if you are here and you're kind of under the umbrella of the church and you're part of the community of the church, awesome. That's great. If you're not a believer and you're here, Awesome. That's great. We're here to serve you. We're here to love you. We're here to help you along in your journey towards Christ, praying for you, serving you, hoping that you come to Christ and you're welcome and it's great. But actual membership, membership is for believers only. And so again, in one sense, membership begins at conversion, universal church, but that's got to be given expression in a local setting. Has to be given expression in a local setting setting and so somebody said well how can you say that you don't you don't have to be saved to be a Christian no you don't you don't have to do anything to be saved except repent and believe Jesus paid it all all to him I owe but that same bible who tells you I don't, you don't have to do anything to be saved is the same bible that tells you you should be plugged into a local church if you are a Christian and so somebody said, but, but, but you don't ever see membership mentioned in the bible I am so glad you asked that because actually we do. A lot. If you read the Bible with your eyes open, you will see it all over the pages of the New Testament. And so I want to show you just a couple examples of those. And so if you have your Bible, First Corinthians 12, first thing I want to show you is just where we get this term member, where it even comes from, why we even begin with that idea. And it's First Corinthians 12, uh, verse 12. Page 623, for just as the body is one and has many, give me the word, members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, for in one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so the church is a body and it has members. That's where the word comes from. All right. Just to kind of set the stage. But let me get real specific on some of these scriptural mandates for membership. And here's where we're going to flip. If you know your Bible, you can get there. I didn't write all the pages down because we're going to hit so many. So you can just listen to me read first Thessalonians chapter five. Verse 12 says this, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. First Timothy 5 verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And so scripture clearly commands Christians to submit and to honor their pastor slash pastor elders. Okay, but here's where I need you to listen to me, especially closely. If there's no understanding of local church membership, then who are you to submit to? Do, are you to submit to those wackos at Westboro Baptist Church? Because they're an elder, they're pastor. So we're, are we to submit to those crazies? If there's no idea of local membership... Or is it just anyone with the title of, of um, elder? Or we submit to some of my elder friends over here at South Point Community Church? Great folks, but no, no, no. That's a separate local church. And we are this local church. We don't just, you know, we, we don't hear Westboro say, hey, go pick at soldiers' funerals and go do that. No, 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 no. Because that's... It's a local church. But if there's no legitimate local membership, and i never see membership in the Bible you can't say that. Let me give you another one on my side as a pastor. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Like this is my job. This is John's job. This is Chad's job. And anybody who becomes an elder here, that's their job. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Acts chapter 20, the same idea. Verse 28 says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so again... Scripture clearly commands pastors to care specifically for the flock. All right? Not that we can't care for those who are outside of the flock, but our first responsibility is for those who are part of the flock. But if there's no understanding of local church membership, who am I to care for? Am I to care for all of Nashville? Am I going to give an account for all of Nashville? Or when, when I travel to Central Asia, am I going to give an account for Central Asia? You're like, well, that's just absurd. No, no, no. Well, am I going to give an account for bill? No, no, no. If, there, if there's no understanding of local church membership, these things make no sense. Let's do some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is talking about excommunication, okay, being kicked out of the church. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, more of that next week, what that looks like, why that exists. But just listen to the word here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And that is what it sounds like incest. With a stepmom, more than likely. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Skip down to verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. we he's talking about is unrepentant people. Blatant, unrepentant, habitual sinners. Unrepentant. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside Purge the evil person from among you. And so it's very clear here that there's an outside the church. All right. When you look at the scriptures, there's an outside the church and there's an inside the church and they're distinguishable. Everybody knows in Corinth who's inside the church, who, who is, makes up that local membership and who is outside the church. But not only that, then when you've got this blatant, unrepentant dude having incestual sex with his stepmom and he's being excommunicated, he's being kicked out of the church because he won't repent, being kicked out would not be possible if you weren't in. You can't be kicked out of something if you weren't first in something. And then even before you get to excommunication, just taking the steps of church discipline, like in Matthew 18, where Jesus lays that out. He says, hey, if they will not repent, what do you do? You tell it to the church. Or does that just mean anybody and everybody who claims the name of Christ? You, just, you tell it to everybody? Hey, I, I'm a Christian. Oh, you're part of the universal Church. Well, let me tell you about what this guy did. Because we're kicking him out. No. Jesus has in mind a particular defining group of people, a local church. And I'm not saying that first century churches kept a role, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I mean, John laid out the fact that, last, that, that they kept, what was it, a list of 2,000 different widows so that they could care for them. And then, and then God's described as, as a guy who, who's got a role that's going to be, you know, it's going to be called up yonder someday. The Lamb's Book of Life. So it wouldn't surprise me. But we see this idea of membership. Even in 2 Corinthians 2, they're restoring a guy from church discipline. Probably this guy from 1 Corinthians 5. And they're restoring him and they're talking about the idea of a majority as in a vote that happened. That they can clearly distinguish here is a set group of people. This is a local church that, and there's a majority knew To have a majority, you got to know who all is in. It's got to be distinguishable. And so it's all over the place in the New Testament. If you read with your eyes open, I'm just giving you a, a few little snapshots of this. But what it teaches us is that God's plan for His people is that we would belong to a local covenant community of faith, that we wouldn't just float on our own. It's a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. John MacArthur, who I like a lot of what he says and I don't agree with some of what he says, but he's dead on when he writes this. Not becoming a member makes no sense. You need to be a church member. If not here, somewhere that is faithful to the truth. It's a matter of obedience to the scriptural command. It's a matter of fellowship. It's a matter of regularly Permanently submitting to the authority of the Word of God taught systematically and sympathetically by pastors and teachers. It's a matter of becoming strong in doctrine, being willing to identify publicly with the people of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of accepting the rich responsibilities and privileges of family. It's a matter of loving loyalty and not joining the church as saying, I don't care about that. And so that's the mandate. It's not an add-on. It's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, biblically, outside of the thief on the cross and the Ethiopian eunuch who just got saved, you don't see anyone on the pages of the New Testament who is a believer who is not yoked and linked to a local church. Search your Bible and, and, and show me. There's not one. And so this is the mandate, and it's not like some sort of varsity level thing. No, no, no. This is just part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. You're a member, and as a member, you're a provider, not a consumer. And here's what I want to remind us of, though. God never commands that which is not for our and other people's good. He doesn't do that. All of his commands are for his people's good. And so when he says, for example, relationships or or sex work like this, here's how it works. He's not saying that to try to take joy from us, but to lead us into it. And so when he says, hey, membership in a local church, you need to be a part of that. That's not him trying to, you know, take joy from but lead us into it so he's not up in the heavens going ha ha this is going to be awesome watch these guys i'm going to create this thing that's called the church and it's going to be an absolute mess and people are going to get angry and fight and split and all this no 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 god gives us membership for our and a specific group of other people's good and joy And so that brings us to a second point this morning. The purpose and gift of membership. That it is a gift. It's mandated. But all Christ's mandates are for our good. They're for our joy. As we think of this idea of purpose and gift of membership, we could go on for a long time, but I want to keep my job, so we're just going to stick to three things. We're going to talk about spiritual formation, We're going to talk about evangelism and we're going to talk about family, spiritual formation, evangelism and family. These are three purposes or or gifts of membership. And so let's go spiritual formation for a minute. Christ's goal of molding and shaping and forming us to be ever increasingly like him is not an individualistic endeavor. He created us such that we need one another. So 1 Corinthians 12 again. This time we'll pick it up in verse 14. Talking about the body and members. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I love that verse. I think about Eden. The parts of the body that appear to be weaker are indispensable. I love that. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so our, our spiritual formation, our growth in Christ, our persevering into faith is not independent one another it's interdependent upon one another we have to have each other to be all that christ wants us to be like i can't be everything that christ wants to be without you and you can't without me we're interdependent upon one another it's inherently corporate And so when we join with a church, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position where we are asking our brothers and sisters to hold us accountable to live with our lives, what we proclaim with our lips and to speak into our lives when we don't. We're asking them to encourage us in those areas where maybe, you know, we've we've beaten ourselves down and remind us of how God has worked in our lives in the past. But then when we are moving away from obedience to speak into our lives and call us out on that and hold us accountable. Join the church, we're giving one another that permission to do that. That's what we're doing. We're telling church members and we're telling church elders that we commit not only to Christ, but to one another. To gather, as we've got out here on the wall, to grow, to serve, and to go. That's what you're committing to, particularly here at Providence, to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. By gathering for worship, growing in groups, serving the church and community, and going to your neighbors and the nations with the gospel. And this is corporate in nature. Like, I can't stress that statement enough. If you go home with one thing, I want you to go home with this idea that, that our spiritual formation is not an individualistic effort. It's corporate in nature. It's not just about you. It's about each other. Like one guy put it, maybe God's plan's not all about you in an individualistic sense. This is how we Americans read it. I want to grow in my faith and these people are so far behind me. So I don't know. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's not about you, you know, um, increasing your level of 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 evangelism to 7.2 people on average per month. And over the course of a year, incre- increasing your length of quiet times by 16 minutes. Maybe it's not about all that. Maybe it's not about your individual holiness, you know, growing um, in, in some measure. All right. Not that those are bad things. Those are great things. But maybe God's concerned about something even greater and bigger than that. Because God did not save you to make you self-centered and focused on your own spiritual growth. He wants you to grow, but He wants you to help other people grow. He's concerned with how you treat others. And so being a member of a church should cause you to be concerned for other people's growth as well, for other people's blessing, for other people's profit. It's a community project. It's not an individualistic matter. It's a matter for the whole church. And in our 21st century American consumeristic churches, many people have forgotten this. This is why you can go to bookstores that talk about spiritual growth and spiritual formation and they never mention the church. That's backwards. You look at Paul though, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, over and over and over again, he's talking about all these gifts that God gives and they're for what? Building up the church. Over and over and over so that you know you build up the church. And this is given so that build up the church. And this is given so build up the church. Right? The, the gifts aren't for you. The gifts that God's given you aren't for you. They're for building up the church. What church? This church, if you remember here. And if you're not a member here and you're a member of someone else, that church. Building up the church. Ephesians 4, John read a little earlier, talks about all these gifts that are given so that the church can be built up to full maturity, to the full stature of manhood. Okay, that's the church would be built up this church, your church. So Deborah puts it this strongly if you think of yourself as a strong Christian and you get really excited to listen to a David Platt or Matt Chandler sermon or read a John Piper book, but you can't be committed to a group of people who are different than you, who the only thing they may have in common with you is Jesus Christ with all their faults and foibles, then I think you might not have much reason maybe to even think that you're converted. Because like when we understand the nature of our sin and know all the ways that God has forgiven us, who are we not to extend that same grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ? And to those outside the church, but Galatians 6.10, especially those of the faith, especially those of the household of God. And so you commit to a local church for, for your own growth, but also for other growths For the glory of God. And in that church, what's going to happen? You're going to butt heads with one another. Right? And Sarah and I, I mean, we're sinners in the same house. So what do we do? We butt heads with one another. And this whole idea people love to quote, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's a great thing. But how does iron sharpen iron? It hits each other. And what happens when it hits each other? Sparks Fly. And what happens? It gets shaped. It gets molded. It gets changed. Both people. That's what God does in the church. That's how we live towards one another. We don't get mad and sparks fly and we walk out. We don't get mad, sparks fly, and we bolt and we're like, forget you, I'm done. No. We love one another. We're patient with one another. We grow with one another. That's Christ forming us. But not only is spiritual formation, you know, a purpose and a gift of, of membership, but so is evangelism. Evangelism, because, you know, we evangelize the world better together. And so if you've got any background in the church, this is going to be a little bit of common language right there. It's kind of obvious. We are agents of God's reconciliation. Matthew twenty-eight has called us to, you know, make disciples of all the nations, pontiethne, ethne, all the people groups, not geopolitical nations. And we do this better together, Right. That's the obvious idea of, of, of evangelism here. But beyond that, beyond that, have you ever thought about maybe the unobvious portion of evangelism and how joining a church helps clarify the gospel for non-believers? Helps clarify the gospel for non-believers. Because first of all, we get to show non-Christians what Christians like are not. What we're not. That we are not nauseatingly self righteous people who are worried that someone somewhere might be having fun and who believe above all else in their own goodness. It's not who we are, and we get to show non Christians that that's not who we are. We get to clarify the gospel for them by showing okay, that's not it. And we get to clarify the gospel when we gather together and form congregations of believers, because you know what happens then is non Christians are able to say, "Oh, okay, that's what Christians are." N- now I get it. And and people who might be cultural Christians or not actual Christians, but they just kind of think they are, can look at it and be like, oh, "Oh, that's what those people at Providence mean. They live it." But I don't. But I call myself maybe I'm not a believer. Like we clarify the gospel by how we you know, live and show the gospel as a church. By joining a church, you clarify the gospel. These are unobvious forms of evangelism. And even our attendance is a form of evangelism. Because it clarifies what Christians are like and what they do. That they make a priority for gathering for worship and the public proclamation of the Word. That's a priority for them. That's what Christians do. And so uninvolved, habitual, non-attendance, inactive members confuse both real members and non-Christians about what it means to be a real Christian. And then we active members do the voluntarily, because it's their choice, inactive members, no service when we allow them to remain members of the church. Because membership, listen closely, is the church's corporate endorsement of a person's salvation. Not that the church can make someone a Christian, but we declare right confession seems to be a confessor. It's our corporate endorsement. but how can we endorse and say someone is continuing on in the faith faithfully pursuing Christ when they have been functionally invisible we can't and so we do a disservice to the church to non-christians and to the non-intending attending individuals themselves when we allow Them to remain members. It doesn't mean we just write them off. All right, we call into repentance. We seek them out. We pray for them and we keep seeking them. We keep loving them. But eventually, if they do not return. Yeah, we remove them from membership because we can no longer vouch for their salvation. Not saying, oh, they're going to hell, but just we can't vouch because we don't see them and we don't know what kind of lifestyle they're leading. And so the way we live as a church is a form of evangelism. It's not overt and obvious, but it is a testimony based upon lifestyle. And what is that lifestyle to look like? We're to live as a family. This is the third little point here. We're to live as a family because in Christ we've been made a family. And when I said third point, this is like two C. In Christ, we've been made a family and adopted into God's family through Christ. And so, think about this. I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but if I was up here and I was talking, I was preaching about you know raising Christian families, we'd be talking about like how you do certain things. You pray together. You disciple one another. You read the Bible together. And you laugh a lot together. And you ask for forgiveness from one another. And you eat dinner together. So we talk about all those things, but through that discussion, hopefully we would all remember that parents... Make mistakes. And kids will be kids. And that the family is not just this institution, but it's a group of people. And again, it's the same thing in the church. And so when a church, or if you're a member of this church, when we fail you, because we will, and if we haven't, just wait, it's coming. When we fail to live up to your expectations, remember this church, everybody in these green seats and everybody who's signed that membership covenant over there, are just a group of people that are still growing in God's grace. Still growing in God's grace. And so, what do we do? We love one another, we serve one another, we're patient with one another. And again, you think about a family, not consumerism. Think of a family. This is always one of the metaphors Scripture uses of the church. Whenever your parents or your siblings or your spouse or your children fail to meet your expectations, do you suddenly like bolt on them? Do you suddenly throw them away? I hope you forgive them. I hope you're patient with them. Maybe you might even stop and ask, maybe it's my expectations that need to change, not their actual behavior. Not their actions. But even if it is their actions, we have to ask ourselves if we know how to love and persevere with church members who have different opinions, who fail to meet expectations and who sin against us. Because this is what family does. And this is who we are, brothers and sisters. And so let's never pretend the church is perfect because it's not. Let's not put up a false facade, but let's be a family. That's what we are. If you are a member of this church, we're a family. And we'll press on together and we'll persevere together and we'll suffer long together and we'll love one another and we'll get on each other's nerves because that's what brothers and sisters do. And we'll we'll be those spark-flying, iron-sharpening iron for the glory of God and the changing of our lives. This is a purpose and gift of membership. And so putting all this together, spiritual formation, evangelism, family, was again helpful when he says, we demonstrate to the world that we have been changed. Not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, pray before meals, tie the portion of our income, and listen to Christian radio stations, which I don't know if you even need to do that one. That's personal preference, so maybe I shouldn't have said that. But, here's why. Not primarily because of those things but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, to forgive, and even to love a bunch of fellow sinners. You and I cannot demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting all by ourselves on an island. We've got to be around. We demonstrate it when the people that we've committed to loving give us good reason not to love them but we do so anyhow. We give a visual presentation of the gospel when we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And when we commit to one another as Christ has committed to us. And when we lay down our lives for one another as Christ has laid down His life for us. And it's only together that we can display the gospel of Jesus Christ this way. In a way that we just can't do it by ourselves. It's in the church that the 59 one another's begin. They don't end here. But the 59 one another's. That Jesus lays out. Love one another. Serve one another. Suffer long with one another. 59 of them. 16 of them are love one another repeated. They begin here. I'm going to just... I'm just going to read them. Love one another. This is how we live. Serve one another. Accept one another strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, build trust with one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another, be accountable to one another, confess to one another, live in harmony with one another, do not pass judgment on one another, do not slander one another, instruct one another, greet one another, admonish one another, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, meet with one another, agree with one another, be concerned for one another, be humble to one another in love. Be compassionate to one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another. Carry one another's burdens. This is the purpose and this is the gift of local church membership. As a family. And in joining a local church, you're you're saying, hey, now I'm your responsibility and you're my responsibility. There's no I, there's no me in church. We're a community, an assembly, an ecclesia, a family committed to Christ and one another. Membership matters. It matters and it's great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you have loved us. The way you have loved us when we are unlovely. Because that's most of the time. And the way you loved us when we were enemies of yours. We we're rebels. And you came after us in Christ. out of grace for our salvation. And we confess and we thank you and we praise you for this indescribable gift of salvation that you've given us. And Father, we thank you for the church and your creation of it for our good And I pray that as a church, you would strengthen us. That we would recognize that we don't exist. The church is not just a means to our own self-improvement project, but it's a community of folks pursuing you and pushing one another along the way. And where one falls, another one picks them up. And then when the other one falls, that one picks them up. And we keep running long after you, persevering. Holding one another accountable. Not in a mean-spirited way. but for their good and for their growth and for their ever-increasing joy. So help us, Lord, as a church, to be that kind of church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.